0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Hello, I'm Hanif and You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. E9E Architecture is a new research practice based here in Kuala Lumpur that aims to look at things differently and according to their own words, produce counter-narratives while working within contemporary urban realities. That's a very intriguing mission statement that has gotten us curious. So of course, we reach out to speak to them about what their practice is all about and what the kinds of counter-narratives that they are trying to produce. Joining me on the show are the folks behind it, Alia Ahaman, Hazazi Hamza, and Azmi Anwar, who has been on the show prior but wearing different hats then.
2: Hi. I'm Ali Ahmad, um, an academy and a
3: researcher from Taylor's University. Um, thank you for having me today. Yeah, I'm Zazi. Uh, my full name is Hazazi, but easier to call Zazi. I teach part time in Taylor's University as a design tutor. Uh, and I also have some other uh, things going on on my other half of time <laughs> mm. uh, involving, uh, you know, uh, construction uh, architecture
1: and stuff like that all right okay and of course Nazmi uh, you've been on the show before but yeah I mean you're doing this now E9A architecture uh, before we talk deeper about that what what happened to all your other side projects Uh, you know I think you've been on the show talking about normal architecture yeah what, what happened to that uh, now that you have this this new venture that you're embarking on well, well hi
0: uh, thanks for having us Uh well I guess uh, I guess this is kind of like a progression or, or kind of an extension of that of all of the previous things that I guess we've talked about. Uh, I think if once we start talking, I, I even see that it's kind of consistent in a way, consistent and it and is in a way an extension of you know all the other uh, interests and, and, and pursuits that we have discussed uh, in 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 the past. Um, I think the idea of normal architecture was to kind of specifically somehow engage with architecture, uh, be it through, let's say, um, you know, the design construction of small, small things and also through the the act of thinking. Uh, I think this new uh, uh, endeavor, uh, partnership, I think in a way, it's taking some of this interest, but also in a way sharing it with others and then trying to kind of also you know, uh, I guess when you when you work on your own, it's kind of different than when you work in a partnership mm-hmm. where now it's kind of an attempt to bring together uh, kind of a collective intelligence on things. Whereas perhaps before, I guess, I mean, like we've talked in the past, there, there were collaborations. Uh, but I think in a way, those were more informal. Uh, whereas here, I think uh, all of us kind of um, decided to uh, pursue this as a kind of a more serious uh, partnership
1: mm, alright Um. so let's talk about the name because I'm quite curious about the name it sounds very coded mainly because I don't know what it means or what it stands for so yeah maybe you can tell us a bit more about that what does E9A stand for
3: I mean like the simple answer to that would be a name of a block a level and a wing of a building uh, okay okay <laughs> <laughs> Probably in Taylor's, I assume?
2: <laughs> yeah, spot on. Um, And the reason being is because that there's a space or the place where we actually meet, discuss, and hang out. So basically, yeah. Hence, uniting.
1: Ah, uh, I see. Okay. There's not much mystery to it's it. Quite it's quite straightforward.
2: It's quite straightforward. But
1: uh, in
0: English...
1: Yeah, now that you have explained it, I think, yeah, that kind of naming convention makes sense, I suppose, when it comes to lecture halls or, you know,
0: um,
1: university buildings. Yeah, it reminded me of yeah, my own past experience in university. But, okay, so what is it then? You know, United Architecture, Um, according to your website, it says that it aims to understand conditions and produce counter-narratives while working within contemporary urban realities. Uh,
0: well, Uh. I guess it's... Uh... I mean, we 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 say that it's a practice, uh, and uh, also we say that it's a practice. It's a kind of a uh, it's a research practice in the sense that I, because all of us are uh, you know, uh, involved in teaching, and all of us are kind of uh, at the moment uh, engaging with our own uh, kind of personal uh, research projects. Uh, about the city, you know, let's say I think all three of us are kind of conducting our own individual research and they're all somehow overlapping in that they're all interested in, in in the condition of the city. And we felt that uh rather than just you know talk about research as one way where you try to understand something, it could be interesting to maybe uh, pursue research in a more kind of projective manner you know, that 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 says, uh, on one hand, you have kind of serious academic research, but through the findings of the research, perhaps they could be proposals, which could then be, you know, counter narratives to the kind of uh, certain development trends, but also it could be about how to more uh, intelligently work within um, the current situation. So in a way, it's, it's for us to make the research more interesting and more projective, uh, you know, specifically, trying to um, trying to make kind of architectural projects uh, out of research. And, and when I say architectural projects, I don't mean that you make buildings. Mm-hmm. Meaning that to approach uh, research in a more kind of spatial and uh, architectural manner. I guess if that makes sense. I mean, I think, I think Alia and you could also add.
3: Yeah, I mean, like to just to add a little bit. I think. Uh, when we talk about architectural practice uh, or design practice of course in malaysia uh, normally we are in a way uh, limited to this uh, commitment to build something uh, and on the other hand when you talk about you know as a researcher or someone who you know do research uh, you have this commitment to produce journal papers and all those other commitments and stuff like that so i think uh, um I mean like this venture would be something to fit in the, in this, you know, in on, on the one hand, you want people to know about the sort of uh things that is happening in the research world, especially uh you know in the field of architecture and urbanism or in or the city. And on the other hand, you do you also want you know uh, the architectural industry or, or the building industry to also uh get to know about all these ideas uh that that people in in the, the in, in research has been talking about not you know specifically in malaysia but uh regionally and also probably internationally as well uh so that we we are not too preoccupied about oh we have to develop nation we, we need to talk about architecture what is this uh the kind of latest sustainability and stuff like that uh uh stuff like that but i think more importantly is to to see uh, what are the alternatives in terms of design thinking, in terms of talking about the city, talking about the future, or talking about how uh, we can also practice uh, architecture in a slightly different way. Yeah.
2: Mm. I, I think being an academic, um, research is part and parcel of academic life. So um, by having this uh, venture, our partnership with E9A, um, it kinds of like make the project or the research more meaningful, not just because you have to do certain things because of KPI whatsoever, but it's because you own it. So I guess, um, you know, it makes sense when you have, you know, a, a collective or collaboration, um, or a team, um, that can support what you're doing. So yeah. Mm.
1: So, from what I heard there, um, and taking to factor your background as well, your common background as, as all of you are involved in academia to a certain extent, um, is this also an attempt to actually make your practice and together with your background in academia more accessible? Because, because to a certain extent, you could argue both fields will have this tendency to sometimes be inaccessible to the public. So, is this an attempt at trying to make it more, I guess accessible because i think nazmi you mentioned the word project trying to project the, the ideas that you have you know your research projects and whatnot so yeah research papers i mean as much as they are great and will always be a point of reference can sometimes be jargon-laden can be a bit more mm. inaccessible for the public to uh, approach I, I suppose so maybe is this an attempt at that i suppose to an extent
0: i guess in a way you can see that because i think part of the uh i mean we I mean, going back to the kind of setting up of this thing is also because we were involved uh, recently on like a project or like a proposal, uh, like a design proposal project, which uh, somehow, in which somehow, all of our kind of research interests uh, came together and was visualized, right? In, in the sense that, I mean, as academics, we we write a lot. Well, we try to write a lot. Uh, and there's a lot of text and, like you said, a lot of jargon and a lot of um, things which are very internalized. Right? So I think one of the the joy of making that project was kind of trying to translate some of these ideas into visual form, which I guess in a way would be a bit more, like you said, uh, accessible to the general public, perhaps. Uh, so I guess there is that idea of kind of yeah making projects out of research. It's about also about discussing research. On a different kind of level, where you don't have to kind of uh, necessarily engage with heavy jargons, but an image, you know, could be the outcome of a research, and an image could spark conversations as well. Perhaps even better than a paper, you know, uh, as as great as as papers are.
1: All right, okay. Another aspect that I find quite interesting uh, is is also um your aim to produce counter narratives, right? And uh, while working within contemporary urban realities, before we talk about producing counter narratives, I'm curious to know how the three of you define the contemporary urban realities, especially when it comes to I guess the city here.
3: If I may start first, I think uh of course when we talk about the city, we can't run away with the you know reality of the. uh, uh neoliberal construct of the city that we that we live in today. Uh, and I think uh the problem with most uh architects, designers, or even you know, planners to a certain extent is that to uh deal with the existing situation, to try to work within this kind of reality, uh to a certain extent that as if like uh this situation will continue to to sustain for a much longer time, like fifty to hundred years, uh, in the future, uh, whereas I mean, like if you go back uh, fifty years ago, there are a lot of um theories, uh, there are a lot of uh um, speculation about uh the condition of our urban environment today, which pretty much being theorized by uh, I mean, like. Researcher, architects, designers, especially from the West, and and in a way, the reality that we have that we live in now is based on that, and we never, you know, uh, sort of try to uh, propose another an alternate reality to that. Uh, in terms of you know, uh, for it, for example, uh, like like just to break it down a little bit, like for example, the 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 way that we develop our city. The, the american model the urban sprawl and all that right um as if like we don't have uh you know uh, an alternative uh in terms of alternative way of developing our cities uh and and we see uh, this has become uh like in a way like the worst version of the this kind of uh urban sprawl and expansion on the one hand you see the city core has become uh, in a way, ne- neglected a certain uh, area. You, know, you, you see a lot of high rises and, and all that. But if, if you go there, you know, certain areas in KL, in the heart of KL, uh, you know, during nighttime, you see emptiness, you know. So the implosion of the city, city core, city center itself is, is real. And then people, you know, complain about, you know, you have immigrants coming in and live in the city center. But uh, how about us as militia? We don't really you know, want to live in the city center for you know whatever reason. So uh, and and on the other hand, everyone wants to live in this nice suburban, including myself, a uh, suburban area like all the way to Rawang or Serendah or you know Semenyih uh, or Kajang, you know, just to have like a a nice uh, parking space with with uh, your your tiny garden in front, you know, you can water your plants and all that. So this kind of very utopian suburban life uh, is is the kind of thing that people uh, look forward to, but but. Is it, is it sustainable? I think like the question is, that, is it sustainable for the next 20, 50 years or 30, 50 years? Or should we start looking at other ways of looking at existing buildings, for example? Should we uh, limit uh, the kind of uh, development, not just based on plot ratio, just because you can build something 40 stories in the city center, that you should do that? Probably... You know there's certain uh you know i mean like maybe the government or the authority should limit certain things in terms of not just because of heritage but uh you know uh, in terms of not just allowing developers or you know anyone to speculate you know uh the housing market just for the sake of speculating it so i think it's it, it becoming a little bit more but i think that, that, that is just to you know talk about it i mean like as architects we uh, I think I think for, for me personally, I feel like we talk too much among ourselves about the beauty, about what are the latest technologies and all that. But in reality, when people want to buy a house, you know, it's just a matter of housing prices or location or whether they have enough facilities, whether it's, it, it is it is actually located near to a, you know, a public transportation and stuff like that. So I think uh, breaking away from the idea of looking at, at, at architecture as the building as architecture, but rather architecture of the city where, you know, this relationship between buildings, uh, between uh, buildings and streets and urban blocks and and kampung houses and, and taman perumahan and all that. So I think this is the kind of thing that we are really interested to, to talk about through... Uh, the projects that we could participate or or you know propose. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Nazmi and Alia? <laughs> Wanna go first,
2: Anthony? Uh
0: I mean, yeah, I mean I, I think uh, when we say kind of trying to understand, I mean that's the diagram that we drew in a way trying to kind of frame <laughs> our kind of uh, interest where we said understand conditions, counter narratives and then uh working within right. So I think it is that diagram is simply kind of an, an abstraction of the of reality like where, where I mean on one hand, let's say the 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 whole thing about research is trying to understand conditions and what leads to certain condition and, and what are problems and how it could be solved. At the same time I think the idea of counter narrative is about uh let's say I mean I think the current narrative of the city is obviously is supposed to be to be, you know, is developed and it's supposed to be more developed and it's supposed to be more efficient and it's supposed to be more uh, business friendly and it's supposed to be more green and it's supposed to be more uh, smooth and it's supposed to be more sustainable and it's supposed to be more, uh, you know, more socially just, and then it's supposed to be more uh, uh, thinking about the future, but at the same time it's supposed to be more caring about its heritage. It's supposed to be kind of the most, uh, forward thinking uh, physical construction but at the same time it's supposed to reach back to our history and it's supposed to be smarter. Right? So these are the cities are the, the, the prevailing narrative is cities have to be more city-like, you know, uh, it has to be more of everything. But I think when we talk about counter narrative, it's also about let's say kind of maybe taking a step, maybe not even taking a step back, maybe just standing still and 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 instead of talking about what more the city could be a counter narrative could be you know what do we already have and and how do we work uh with what we already have and what comes out of that and rather than always thinking about oh business friendly efficient smart technology by the way it should also be livable you know it's like it's i think the when you when you hear people talk about what cities should be you start to find contradiction like the city is supposed to be everything right whereas maybe, I don't know, maybe it is already that everything or maybe there needs to be that idea of counter narrative of what maybe it should be something else. Um, mm. Yeah.
1: Where did that come from actually? You know, if you think about it, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, you're right. I think we have been, we have a lot of expectations of our cities and to a certain extent, we have been, maybe yeah, to, to use a better, maybe we have been over-romanticizing what a city should be like, right? And maybe, yeah. Where did that come from? You know, <laughs> where, where did we develop Or where and when did we develop this kind of expectations where a city should be more, like you said?
0: Well, I mean, that's a very complicated question, right? That's like a very, it's like, that's that's a PhD, you know, project on its own question there. Uh, I mean, I think the simple answer is economics. I think the city is, since, I mean, since the city is where most of, you know, the economy of countries or region uh, is centered in, and once that economy produces, uh, you know, sur- profit and, and and surplus, those things go into, you know, making the city more. And that produces more economic. And, and, and so it's a cycle. Right? I mean, that's the simple kind of almost dumb answer to that question. But I think it, for me, it's always that production of surplus value and, and needing those value to be, that those surplus to be, again, absorbed, right? It leads to this kind of continuous growth and, and, and sprawl of cities. Simply because it, at some point, you know, especially with the Industrial Revolution, the city ceases to become, let's say, civic centers and starts to become really this engine of kind of uh, capitalist growth. Right? So, and, and the logic of that growth is that it needs to continue to grow in order to kind of feed itself. Right? And, and that's how you find the kind of pro-development trend of cities around the world. When I mean, if you look at the housing market, for example, if you look at these houses that are continuously being built, that like, are there people living in them? You know, are, are there people who actually need houses who are accommodated in these units? Probably not, right? So I think it has ceased. At, at some point, uh, the city ceases to become the civic center. It ceases to become this kind of uh, you know place where you live. But it simply becomes this kind of huge. A machine and this engine of production and, and I feel I mean of course that might be oversimplifying it but I think that's what in a way what the city has become and if you look at you know this narrative of efficiency uh, smart city like you can get from here to there in two seconds like all of these narratives all contribute to that same idea of continuous growth right? and I think one of the things that we are in a way, kind of saying is that maybe they are like hold on you know maybe there are other things to think about beyond you know,
2: this narrative of growth and expansion. And I think we yeah. copy and paste from the Western, so we try to emulate whatever they've done without asking ourselves whether we need it or not. Um, there are other, like what our mentioned just now, there are other alternatives that we can do or we can use, but I think we took the shortcut way and hence what KL is it
1: is now I guess That was Alia Ahmad and together with Hazazi Hamza and Nazmi Anwar they run E9E Architecture a research practice that looks at architecture and the city from a different perspective We'll be back after this short break I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9 BFM at 9.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharuddin. Joining my show today are Hazazi Hamza, Alia Ahmad and Nazmi Anwar and they're from E9A Architecture Research Practice that focuses on producing counter narratives in the realm of architecture and urban realities. If you check out their website, you will see what they have worked on so far. It's called Kisah CLASSIC Untuk Masa Depan, a manifesto for degrowth and it's essentially a speculative project that looks at what the city could look like if it goes through a process of degrowth. I suggest that you check it out as there are some visual elements there that's worth looking at But essentially they envision parts of Kuala Lumpur to be filled with greeneries with some iconic landmarks and buildings in KL such as Dataran Merdeka, Medan Pasar and Central Market being repurposed. Again, do check the work out. It's on their website, e9aarchitecture.com. And while you're doing that, here's Hazazi with a brief explanation of that work.
3: Yeah, when we we started this project, I think uh, it is is about to talk about, uh, it is something to discuss or to speculate about the future. And I think like since, you know, since the 90s when we were still, you know, at school, if someone asks you or uh, an assignment to draw like what what it will be in 2020, everyone will draw like flying cars, you know, the policy building in the world and all that. As if like during that time, which is now, 2020, there's no poverty, you know, (laughs) there's no issue of, you know, uh, energy and all that. So, uh, in a way, uh, in the early part of the discussion, we we came across this... uh, uh, famous research by uh, a group of MIT researchers that talk about you know the limit of uh the limit of growth uh, basically uh uh and and this was you know that in the nineteen seventies so the limit of growth uh if we keep on developing or keep on progressing uh you know the same way that we you know start to do things since fifty years ago uh at certain point you will reach a limit where you have uh. uh Environmental problem. You have uh, less resources. Uh, the birth rate and uh, you know uh, all those other health issues and whatnot. Uh, to a certain extent, if you keep continue uh, to to develop the same way without you know adjusting anything, uh, it will reach to a point that you will reach to this collapse of uh, collapse of civilization. Now, uh, and then there are you know a f- uh, a few other uh, diagrams uh, in terms of. Uh, an alternative uh, narrative if we start to think differently in terms of maybe controlling uh, you know uh, our resources uh, trying to find new ways of developing uh, energy or controlling uh, you know uh, health and birth control and all that so in a way uh, the pattern shows that you know if we try to do something you know start to do something differently not just you know maybe uh, using less plastics you know straws and all that would be just a, a small contribution towards that but how about other things how about in terms of construction because as we know construction itself is the i think like one of the highest if not the highest contribution to you know uh environmental issues uh and the the the, the way that uh, we construct things i mean like the amount of cement being produced by china for the last you know 10 years was actually uh, you know more than what was being used by the United States like hundred years ago. So I think with this level of, of as if like there's no, and, and the thing is that all this kind of construction that has been constructed 10 years ago, in some part of China, uh, is already being demolished because, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work. No one lives there. There's this all kind of ghost towns and whatnot. So this pattern of, storing wealth uh, in a form of architecture should stop uh, you don't see the quality of architecture in this kind of uh, buildings and, and, and urbanism and whatnot but you don't see it benefits uh, the people in terms of getting them to own a house or to live uh, so it's just pure speculation so uh, with this manifesto in a way we try to think about okay what if you know we are heading towards that reality and uh, in a way people start to you know i don't know maybe the population start to start to a point where it becomes degrowth uh, and then you know some most of the probably buildings and projects start to get you know abundant and the cities start to get a little bit empty a little bit for in a way but but uh, anyway, it's something that, that could happen, you know, it, it happens to some of the cities for certain reason uh, because of, uh, you know, disasters and whatnot. Uh, so within a few years, uh, there, there are going to be new ways of, of, of uh, development or living in a way. And I think one key point from that proposal is that maybe to rethink the idea of property. Uh, because when you start over and you still, you know, talk about property, then definitely the first people who come there will definitely you know, buy the property or try to <laughs> take control of all the properties and make money out of it. So in a way, this kind of uh, situation where there's a state, uh, we, we don't call it like a country or government, but the state that will control in terms of giving what people need in terms of uh, making a living. It's a little bit of a socialist uh, uh, utopia over there. But, but I think it, it, in a way that it, it, it is not also the same pattern of uh, socialist agenda in the in the 1950s, 60s and 70s where all this welfare state, social housing and whatnot. And we see it's also becoming a failure uh, to certain extent in Malaysia, also in KL, uh, you know, uh, flat cleaning, you know, uh, Razak mentions uh, Sulaiman Court, and all that. So it is a failure when you just based on economics try to build something, to, you know, for, for the cheapest uh uh, square foot uh, possible and then just place people inside there without thinking about uh you know um, uh, you know what would happen when you place you know uh people uh, like cram them into like this kind of situation so so I, I feel like that's an, uh, a manifesto where we can start to think about the future in that way that it's not just about all these tall buildings flying cars and whatnot but what if that is the reality and we we you know we need to deal with that kind of situation. Yeah,
1: looking at the pictures, I can't help but wonder whether, um, I mean, as much as it is a speculation, it does look slightly post-apocalyptic in nature, although based on how you've described it just now, it is meant to somehow speculate, right? And think about, you know, maybe yeah. the possibility of this becoming a future of sorts, you know, without necessarily looking too bleak, I suppose, to a certain extent. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. I, I find it quite interesting that, that that the way you guys have been speculating it and framing it, um, you know, it, it is... Pretty, uh, I guess, conceptual in 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 a very disciplined way because the your, the way you get break everything down is like um, pretty. It makes sense, and I kind of like all the images as well that you can see in terms of I guess um, Kuala Lumpur. Literally, I guess mm-hmm. if it, it feels I know post apocalyptic is the right word. You know, I played The Last of Us, so I can't help but think of oh, this. Is like you know, the city being yeah. taken over by by you know, you can see a lot of greenery and real. But at the same time, you also have um, you know paddy fields and whatnot, right? So. Yeah. How important is it um, especially in using you know, existing landmarks as a point of reference when it comes to, I guess, speculating you know, a project of this nature, I suppose. Because because I I like the way how you even identified certain you no know, spaces, certain um monuments and how it can be recontextualized and it can be repurposed, I suppose, in this in this in this speculative project of yours. Alia hmm. I I should
2: talk about that. She
0: she made those images.
2: Uh, I think um, those, um, you know, landmarks um, is quite prominent in Kuala because people can associate Kuala with those landmarks. So I guess um, by having that, uh, people can resonate with the space, the place, and the time, hence the memory. So I guess that's what we're trying to um, inject, you know, um, to the the public. Want to add on?
0: Yeah. Also, I think, I mean... Because I think the, the idea of, of memory, like, like what, what what Alia said, is also something that is kind of um I guess important when you talk about you know cities always moving forward, right? And and but I think I, I think part of the kind of charm of these images that 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 that, that she made is in a way uh these are very familiar uh structures, very familiar landmarks, but put to kind of very unfamiliar uh, usage. Uh, in a way, it's also trying to kind of uh, question the way that we use cities. I mean, do, do do is it kind of a static way of things just remaining like that, or, or, or things that we already have could always be adapted uh, to kind of uh, new and more uh, immediate or more contemporary or more immediate uh, needs, right? So, so I think the in a way, uh, I guess those images are also, I mean. I'm not sure that they are post-apocalyptic I feel I find that those images are quite hopeful in a way uh they're hopeful in the sense that I guess what we're trying to show is also the in, in, in ingenuity of people you know in, in dealing with situations Of course there's like something happened and then you know you're forced to deal with that but I think it's also in a way kind of I mean if you if you look at those images there's there's no indication of let's say technology. And I think it's, it's, it's also this kind of idea that, you know, the future or, 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 or progress, or whatever, is not does not have to always be kind of linked to the application of the latest technology. But sometimes all of, it's all about human uh, in, uh, in, in, in ingenuity. Right? And I think, uh, I mean, we did this project for a, for, a, for a competition. And if you look at the images of the other schemes uh, in that competition, you would find very kind of techno optimist visions of the future, where, you know, things are flying around and everything is great, you know, things go on as usual. And for me, at least, I find those images are much less plausible uh, than the images that we show, because I feel that what we are showing here uh, is, okay, it might be an extreme version of things, but it's already happening. We we are taking something that is already happening, that already can happen. And of course, pushing it into kind of an extreme direction. But I feel that at its core, it's about hope, I feel, you know, that there is a different way of kind of dealing uh, with our, uh, I don't know, common artifact that is the city and then therefore our common uh, future.
2: And I guess the idea of degrowth is going back to basic, you know, like, so there is no AI, there's no, you know, other stuff. It's just that, you know, like what we as human can do, to
3: survive, so yeah, yeah. I, I think we we uh we talk about. I mean, like Aliam did mention about shortcut, which is something that I also want to talk about. Where you know, as as a nation, you know, uh, you know, Malaysia, if you compare to like uh, a much more advanced country, like uh fifty years ago, uh, it, talking about if you look at the photo of Kuala Lumpur in eighteen, you know, ninety five or something like that, you know, it's is 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 basically you know, something like what we. You know, imagine like you have you see uh you know all these forests and then there are like uh small shop houses with thatched roof and all that some couple houses here and there, you know and it's people start to to do work uh tin mining and all that uh and then you know about hundred years later we have the tallest building in the world we have all this facility MRT and blah blah blah, uh, and and you compare that to you know a Western country. Uh, they might not even have the tallest building in the world. So in a way, by creating that kind of shortcut when, for, for example, if you want to create more millionaire or billionaires, you create projects in order for that to happen. So for me, you know, for me personally, I think that is in a way a shortcut. But, so by doing that, there are other things which is more important that you not take care of. So, in order for you to build a city, you just develop and allow developers to invest, open up, and so that people can invest and do more buildings and all that without thinking about how, you know, uh, people can you know move from point A to B to C in the city efficiently without the need, uh, too much dependent to all these kind of uh, private vehicles, and and the issue of public transportation. Uh, you know sidewalks walking uh, and all that even the way that we plant uh, you know whether we have uh, institutional or government buildings uh, within the city center uh, or you have like student housing within the city center and stuff like that um, but but moving of of course we we have other issues to deal with we want to develop the rural areas as well we want to develop other corridors within the within the country we cannot just focus everything so in a way, it, it is it, the kind of a, a political choice whether you know how do you want you know the country to be or the cities uh, to 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 be developed uh so so then at the end of the day uh we as the people who live in the city we also have our own right whether what kind of city do we want KL to be you know do we want you know. Uh, just like some small beautification project so that we can go to the city center uh, during the weekends and take photos and you know have like instagram spot at some of the cafes and all that and then that's okay for us or is it we have to go to the core of the problem whether we should bring some population in the city we should have some you know a government institution in the city we should have you know more younger people in the city as well you should allow and promote them to open offices in the city center so that we have this kind of balance in terms of uh, you know population and all that so so i think we we need to talk uh, about all these things uh, you know even more rather than just looking at this kind of visual nice visual of the city as what we imagine with this kind of icons high uh, high uh, high rise buildings and all that so i th- i think it, it is more about to create this kind of uh, dialogue uh, even more so that uh, of course, we, we see nowadays when people complain about, oh, we, we want better transportation system, public transport, or we talk about this and that. But you know the core of the problem is that we have like issues of people choosing your you know, <laughs> walking right yet not based on you know, the kind of work that they can do or the kind of manifesto that they have. So this is like, you know, we we have to go and do all this work first in order for us to talk about, you know, like as a a civilized society, because we cannot just go to the issue of public transportation or we want to have this kind of environmental friendly city and all that. But, you know, on the ground itself, uh, people are so far away from this kind of reality. Uh, yeah, so that's why I think what what we've been uh, doing all this, what well is creating shortcuts, so that we, in a way, for certain population, appear to be like a very you know civilized nation, you know, uh, a lot of middle class, uh, educated people and whatnot. But you know, on the other side, most of the people, majority of the people, are very you know um, disconnected with these kind of uh, issues. Yeah,
1: that's fantastic. So. Uh... Kesa Klasik untuk masa is I think one example of the kind of project that um, E9A is planning to achieve. Um, what else can we expect from you guys you know after this one? you know, What are some of the points of conversations the counter narratives the kind of issues that you like to I guess bring up or get people to think about whether people within the industry within your own field or people outside it as well? Uh,
0: well I mean I think I mean going back to that diagram that we have I, I think that diagram of uh, is in a way trying to clarify what we intend to do where you say on one hand you have the kind of uh, understanding situations uh, in, in detail on the other hand doing this kind of counter narrative where so perhaps ideas are meant to uh shock people a bit And on, on one hand there's the, the circle there's the other circle, which talks about working within and in a way that's the kind of uh get out of you know that's the kind of get out of jail. Where, well, of course, I mean, you can, Uh, on one hand, you can spend a lot of time understanding things, on the other hand, you can spend a lot of time trying to be radical. But also, I mean, we are also saying that there's also, I mean, of course, a, a, a real need to kind of work within uh, realities uh, to kind of maybe uh, deal directly with kind of improving or, or making things better. Uh, but also, I mean, in extension to that, I think uh, in as much as that diagram clarifies, uh, what we try to do is also, in a way, I guess, we've sort of put ourselves in very difficult position. I mean, like, like being an architect is, is a very complicated thing, right? Because on one hand, if you talk to a lot of, archi- well, if you talk to most architects, there's like a desire to be, you know, I don't know, quote-unquote radical or, 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 or critical or blah, blah, blah. But on, 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 on the other hand, I think, a huge part of, let's say, uh, the job of the architect is to, in a way, to kind of conform, right? Because I think like we've discussed before, it's pretty much a service industry where you're not there to kind of criticize your client's decision, right? You are there to kind of, uh, in a way, translate his uh, you know, vision into steel, concrete, and wood. So I think the, the the position of the architect is trying to be critical is a very difficult kind of position because by nature that profession is works better when it's not that critical right when it when it uh, uh works with the step to quo and when it uh gives physical form to the kind of uh realities of that time without maybe trying to be too critical about it because often when you try to be critical and then it becomes you know like window dressing and you end up building another mall right so 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 hopefully that's not the direction that we are heading but i think we are also in a way conscious of the fact that uh, the profession of the architect especially now operating in the city and in this kind of uh, contemporary uh, society is a profession which is fraught with contradictions uh, yet trying to uh, be critical of things we're also trying to get things done right? so i think that is in a way in simple terms, the the kind of challenge or the kind of ambition that we've in a way put to ourselves, up. like just trying to make our life that much harder, right? Uh, 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 <laughs> and and by extension, trying to make it more interesting. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's in a way the aim of the practice, Right? I mean, uh, if that makes any sense, it's trying to trying to figure out how to operate. You know, trying to figure out how to still be an architect because I mean often when, when people are very critical you end up becoming like a like a critique you know like a like a like a person who works as an architectural you know, critic and I think we are all pretty much still interested in the idea of somehow being architects but is yeah. there a way to kind of practice in a manner which is I don't know goes hand in hand with questioning things hence that diagram it's like it's like <laughs> trying to have your cake and you know yeah and sell it. <laughs>
2: Well, I guess we we are pretty um, lucky in the sense that we wear different hats in because we are an academic researcher and architect, so we can find balance. Um, and yeah, that's how I see E nine A. Uh, because we're trying to educate our students as well. You know what not to do or what to do. So it's like you know we are learning at the same time. So yeah.
3: Yeah, I think I think one of the you know things that we want to you know achieve basically is to get more people to you know, start this kind of alternative initiatives or groups or you know company whatever you want to call it uh, Of course we have the industry you know to make sense in terms of to balance up you know uh, buildings and uh, you know to build buildings to develop and also to have you know academic on one side on the other side. but I think it is important uh, for this juncture to happen where, uh we can have more dialogue because this is where for for us like like I think what what we believe is that this is where we can you know uh tap the audience the, the audience which is uh slightly outside of the our, our, our circle our, our bubble of you know the industry and also the school uh and I think you know and most of the time when public ask an architect about you know certain things uh outside of the you know idea of Architecture and building and construction materials and whatnot. I think most of the time they would be slightly disappointed with the <laughs> answers given by architects. I mean, maybe including myself, because I think we, uh, I think I would I want to say powerless, but I think uh, we need to um, allow more dialogues. Uh, okay. And and I think there's there's no uh, like solid walls to differentiate between what an architect. Should do or should not do, or what, uh, should be within the jurisdiction of the local authorities or you know the politicians or the policymakers and whatnot. I think, uh, to move forward as a progressive country, we need to open up the dialogue. Because when we have this kind of dialogue, it's not to criticize for the sake of criticizing someone or certain parties. Uh, I think we want to open up the discussion so that like, okay, look, uh, we have, you know, other progressive, more, you know, advanced country uh, and, and they, you know, handle certain things this way. They, they prioritise certain things, uh, you know, compared to other things. Uh, I think uh, stop creating this kind of shortcuts for the sake of, you know, showing to the people that, oh, we are, you know, uh, an advanced, uh, advanced nation and whatnot. So I think, you know, step forward, go into details and look at, you know, the kind of things that probably is more, you know, uh, needed for for, for us uh, as a nation to progress.
1: You've been tuning in to I Love KL and I've been speaking to Hazazi Hamza, Alia Ahaman, and Nazmi Anwar They're from E9A Architecture a research practice that aims to challenge the norm of architecture You can find out more about what they have done so far on their website E9AArchitecture.com and on their Instagram at E9A.Architecture That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL If you miss any part of the show you can check out the podcast at bfm.my ilovekl Our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and you can also find this episode and many others on Spotify Don't forget to so follow the station On Twitter at BFM Radio My name is Ani Baharudin And you have been Tuning in to I Love KL Bringing you closer To the people And places of our capital city Join us again next week Only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station
3: You have been listening To a podcast From BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories Of the same kind Download the BFM app